Dear listeners, you are tuned in to WOWD 94.3 FM, and this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday, one hour at a time, right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listeners, this week I'm excited to have two new friends in the studio with me. Pastor Mario Alden Broussard II is a psychotherapist and the owner of Fresh Start Counseling Services. Good morning to you, Pastor Mario. Good morning. Good morning. And along with providing counseling services, Pastor Mario currently serves as a co-host of Let's Pray on the Hope Channel Network, and he's an ordained elder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Also with us this morning is Imam Hamad Ahmad. Good morning to you, Imam morning Hamad. Morning to you as well. Thanks for having us on. Imam Hamad is a faith leader with the Ahmadiyya community, the Muslim community. He is a uh, Imam of the American Fazl Mosque in Washington D.C. He's lived and worked all around the world in West Africa, East Africa, Canada, Pakistan, and even exotic Baltimore. So glad <laughs> to have both of you here with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Dear listeners, why have we gathered these two guests together this morning? What is the connection between the Christian Adventist movement and the Muslim Ahmadiyya movement? Perhaps you haven't heard of them before listening to this program. Well, today on our show, we'll explore some of the interesting histories of both traditions and how their teachings have inspired each of my guests in their unique paths of service. So, without further delay, it's time to get into some interfaith-ish. Dear listeners, one thing that has long fascinated me as a practicing Baha'i, a religion that began in the mid-1800s, is the fact that a significant number of other religious movements took root around the same time in different spots around the world, on far-flung continents, but essentially motivated by that same exciting spiritual energy that seems to have swept over the world at the time. And the Adventist and Ahmadiyya movements are two examples, one that's springing from a Christian context and the other a Muslim one. So that's where I want to start off our conversation today. Pastor Mario, if you would please share with us a little bit of background about where and why the Adventist movement started. Certainly. So thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, essentially, the Adventist movement sprung out of the greater Protestant movement, uh, that took place. You had Zwingli, you had a number of different ministers that came out of the Catholic faith. Mm. Um, and those movements of sola scriptura or the Bible alone, Christ alone, um, those type of movements. Uh, I think that the, the Seventh-day Adventist movement kind of swung, sprung up out of that. And so you had, uh, in those mid 1800s, a uh, dynamic Baptist preacher by the name of William Miller, uh, was struggling with some things. And so he began to preach uh, this revelation that he believed that he had yeah. uh, about Christ coming soon. And so uh, I know that we can dig into that a little more, but uh, that's kind of where it all began. Mm -hmm. And then there were um, a, a lot of the founders of the movement uh, were in their young, uh, later teens, their 20s and their early 30s. And so you had this uh, revival take place 
um, where everyone wanted to get back to the Bible, mm. you know, and see what the Bible said from mm -hmm. beginning to end. So it's, it sounds like it's coming specifically from a Baptist context, a lot of those leaders? Interesting enough, it, you know, William Miller, which was kind of a forerunner of it, was Baptist, but it but the church itself really sprung up out of the Methodist church. Oh, okay. So some of the other co-founders of the church, Ellen G. White, her husband, James White, uh, they were Methodists. They, you know, and so they were coming out of that faith there um, and just really into what they believe was a greater revelation. Yeah. Uh, so it, was, it, it wasn't starting out to, they didn't want to start a new church. They just began to really start study uh, the Bible mm -hmm. for themselves and these new truths that they were finding uh, later ended up uh, for uh, the precipice for a new faith. And was Miller uh, professing to be a sort of prophet him, himself in, in the way that you see maybe, you know, another another one that folks might be familiar with is the Latter-day Saints Church where, where Joseph Smith is, you know, basically writing his, an, a new revelation that they respect the Bible and, and obviously hold that as a holy book. But there's, there's also this other set of texts, this other prophet basically yeah. so no uh, William Miller is almost the exact opposite oh, he he uh, really struggled with whether or not he should even say anything about mm -hmm. what he felt were some revelations from his reading of the Bible mm -hmm. uh, and so he kind of held that in until he just couldn't anymore and was like hey I'm gonna put this out here and uh, it really began so some of his beliefs were maybe not synonymous with what we believe uh, the Bible talks about as far as the Seventh-day Adventist doctrine, what we uphold today completely, but it was really just a catalyst uh, for what took place years after that, yeah. And what are, the, what are the essential distinctions that distinguish the Adventist movement from other Protestant denominations? Sh sure. So, you know, I'll just start, I'll just go with the name. So Seventh-day Adventist, if you, it, you break down the inspiration behind the name Seventh-day uh, you know, represents not just the fourth commandment of the Bible that talks about honoring the seventh day and keeping it holy as the Sabbath, as the Sabbath, which is, you know, uh, different from most uh, Christians who worship on Sunday. But it really not just does it represent that, but it also represents the totality of God's law, the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, that it's it's not so much that we strive to keep them as much as we recognize them as um, a, a, a good picture of the character of God mm -hmm. from from one to ten. And oftentimes in some Protestant uh, faiths, those are not necessarily as emphasized in t in terms of which ones they keep or which ones they you know you know mm -hmm. uh kind of move past and so we so that's the seventh day part right mm -hmm. but then adventist is just like every other protestant denomination uh looking forward to the second coming of christ mm -hmm. uh so and that's advent is the second coming mm -hmm. and so uh so there's an emphasis on the character of god uh, being replicated in us, and then looking forward to God coming back through Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And just to understand the the, the particular that, that people might be most familiar with is that the Sabbath for Adventists is not, as with most, most Christian communities, on Sunday, but is returning to the idea of it being on a Saturday, like in the Jewish tradition. Correct, God. correct. Uh, yeah, and, you know, and, and we saw the, the difference there. Constantine in, in 320 um, really... Uh, in adapting the uh, the Christian movement 
decided and he was kind of instrumental in changing the day. So mm. at one point, Christians worshipped both on Saturday and Sunday. Mm. Uh, but as time moved on and there was some influence and there was, you know, it really st- the tradition started gravitating towards Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so when we as Seventh-day Adventists look into the Bible, we see, you know, we believe God's law doesn't change. And you can see from the Old Testament to the New Testament uh, that there's the con- there's the continuity of worshiping on Sabbath for believers, uh, you know, of the Christian faith. And so that's what we uphold there. Interesting. Imam Hamad, uh, tell us a little bit about the Ahmadiyya movement and what the what the history of, of this community is. So the history of this community, I want to bring it back to the time of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And we say peace be upon him with all the prophets as a sign of respect. And during his time, he prophesied when he established the religion of Islam that a time will come among the Muslim people that there will be a degradation of the Muslim faith, of, of Muslim people practicing Islam. He said a time will come that mosques will be full of worshippers but empty of actual guidance, they'll read the Quran, not know its meaning. He said the same thing that happened to the Jews. He said the Jews, of course, were following the Torah, the Law of Moses, and the time came when they lost the spirit. And that's why Jesus the Messiah was sent to reteach them the Law of the Torah, not bring a new law, but reteach them the true spirit and essence of the Jewish law. And so he said that in Islam the same thing would happen. And when this happens, a messiah or a guide called the Imam Mahdi will come, who will teach Muslims again the true spirit of Islam and what Islam actually means at a point when Muslims will have devolved into extremism, when they will have devolved into terrorism. And so when we look at the Muslim world for the last 150, 200 years, it is in this age that we see the rise of terrorism in the Muslim world, the rise of extremism. There is this viewpoint that jihad means to go and kill innocent civilians for not converting to Islam, means oppression of women, all of these horrible things that we see on the news today. And so it was during this time that in the late 19th century, there was a man, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian. In Qadian, India, a province, uh, Qadian is a, a small town in the province of Punjab in India. And so Mirza Ghulam Ahmed in 1889 claimed that he was that Messiah. He was that Imam Mahdi or the guide who was prophesied by the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him to revive the true teachings of Islam. And so at that time when Muslims in British India were clamoring to fight a jihad, the holy war against their British oppressors and all of these things, he said, listen, you guys are doing it all wrong. He said, this is not what Islam actually teaches. And you know, there's a lot of similarity here with the Seventh-day Adventists where I think he said William Miller wanted to bring things back to the actual teachings of the Bible. Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian wanted to bring Muslims back to the true teachings of the Quran and of the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And he said that, you guys are doing this wrong. Jihad is not a holy war. Jihad is a struggle to improve yourself as a human being. It's a spiritual struggle. Exactly. And so Islam teaches us to live in peaceful coexistence and compassion with people of all religions. You know, his final book was called A Message of Peace, in which he called for all Christians, Jews, Hindus in India to come together in peace and live together in peace and stop this fighting. And so this is how the Ahmadiyya Muslim community was founded in 1889. And Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadiyah not only prophesied to be the reformer or messiah in the latter days of the prophecy by Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he also prophesied that he was, he also f- uh, claimed he was a fulfillment of the prophecy of the Maitreya Buddha in Buddhism, mm. of the coming of Krishna, of the coming of the Messiah in Juda- Judaism, the second coming of Christ in Christianity. He said that, you know, in all these religions, when we see that, number one, we believe God revealed all these religions. It's not different gods. It's one God who revealed different religions piecemeal to teach those people. And he said, if there's one God who prophesied these things, it makes no sense that in latter days he would send 10 different messiahs. He said, this would create an actual war. Mm -hmm. So he said it was always destined that one messiah would come 
who would fulfill the prophecies, all of these prophecies, and unite mankind, you know, under the leadership of that Messiah. And so he claimed he was not just the Messiah of Islam, but that he was the Messiah of Hinduism, of Buddhism, of Christianity, Judaism, and that his goal was to unite humanity and to revive the true teachings of Islam and to teach the world what that Islam means to live in compassion and mercy and love with each other. Mm -hmm. And what is the, the name Ahmadiyya? What, where does that come from? So in uh, British India at the time, they were doing a census and they wanted to find a census of different religious groups living in British India and what groups they belong to. And so they asked our movement as well, the founder of our movement, you know, what do you call your movement? And how would you refer to yourselves? Because it was, you know, breaking away from mainstream Islam at that point. It was mm -hmm. becoming a distinct movement. And so he chose the name Ahmadiyya Movement in Islam because he said the Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, had two names. One was Muhammad, one was Ahmad. Muhammad means the one who is praised the most. Ahmad means one who praises God the most. Mm. And so he said, obviously, the religion of Islam was given that name of Islam by God, and it was established by the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. But he said, if we're going to give this community any other name, it's not separate from Islam. And it's still the Islam of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And so he chose the second name of the Prophet Muhammad, which is Ahmad, and called it the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. Mm. Got it. And so how, this brings up an, an interesting point. So how is the Ahmadiyya community seen by other Muslim communities? I imagine it's a bit controversial. Yeah, so this is a, is a very controversial point in the Muslim world. Um, and you know, when ego gets the best of it, you think you know what's right. Then, And we look at this not just in Islam, but in every religious denomination, every religious world, people will persecute each other when they think the other person is doing something they disagree with. This has happened in the history of Christianity, and it's happening in Islam as well. And so the main difference between the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and the rest of the Muslim world is that we believe that that Messiah has come and that Mirza Ghulam Ahmad was the Messiah prophecy to come in the latter days, whereas the rest of the Muslim world is still waiting for that Messiah. They still think that that Messiah, that Imam Mahdi will come and, you know, by force with a sword, convert people to Islam. Mm. And so we, so we say, no, that's not the case. And mm. because of that difference, that has created a schism between the Muslim world and our community. Because of that, our community is persecuted. We're called heretics. In countries like Pakistan, Indonesia, Saudi Arabia, many, many Muslim-majority countries were officially declared to be non-Muslim by law. Mm. We're not allowed to worship in uh, mosques. They, they don't let us call our mosques mosques. They call it Ahmadi place of worship. We are not allowed to have statements or term Islamic terminology on our literature. In Saudi Arabia, we're not allowed to actually perform the Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca, to the Kaaba, oh, which wow. is a pillar of Islam. Mm. If they find out you're Ahmadi, they say, no, you can't come. Mm. And so there is a, a deal of persecution that the Ahmadiyya community deals with in the Muslim world. And, uh, you know, when that happens, we look at it and we think that this is something that happens to every religious movement. Any religious movement that starts, they always face persecution. Mm -hmm. And we, our response to this is when the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, started preaching the message of unity of God and worshipping one God to the Meccans, he was also persecuted. Mm -hmm. And so you're doing the same thing to us. So, you know, we're in good company if that's the response we're getting. <laughs> if you're just joining us, this is Interfaith-ish on <coughs> WOWD 94.3 FM. We've been talking this morning with Iman Ahmad Ahmad, the faith leader with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and Pastor Mario Broussard II, an ordained elder in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So, uh, Pastor Mario, right here in Tacoma Park is an Adventist hospital. And a, our listeners may know that there are may, many Adventist hospitals around the country, if not throughout the world. So I wanted to hear a little bit about what the, what is the focus of on service in in the Adventist um, community, particularly when it comes to public health. 
Sure. So, you know, the, the focus is always to be relevant to your community. And as simple as that may sound, it's not always practiced in religion um, to, you know, to be so and not just religion, but just as individuals, we don't we don't always look around and say, how can I help my community or be of use to my community? And so one of the ways um, that the Adventist Church does that is through healthcare. And so we really take a very holistic um, approach to healthcare. Uh, we have over 8,600 um, hospitals mm. around the world. Wow. Uh, and uh, just some of them lead in research in Loma Linda, California, uh, and then here with uh, some heart research done. And so just really trying to be relevant. And really and truly, the Adventist Church was, was preaching a message of holistic health at a time that it wasn't really popular and where there wasn't a lot of research mm. uh, behind it. Uh, and what does holistic health mean in just that context? mind, body, and soul, but but also uh, clean eating as well, you know. And, and so now these themes are very popular in our culture, uh -huh. but on the onset of the church and then through, you know, subsequent decades, that wasn't something that maybe the, the greater population focused in on. Mm. And it's so the, clean eating, like coming back to the idea, uh, the laws of Kashrut and Judaism, sort of inspired by that, um, that idea? Maybe more so, yeah. I mean, when you look into uh, the book of Genesis, um, it talks about what God gave Adam and Eve to eat. And mm. it said the herbs of the field, uh, the fruits, those types of things. So looking at, uh, you know, Nuts, grains, fruits, vegetables. Mm. Those so is vegetarianism of, a yes, part of it? Okay. big part of it. Wow. And so a lot of individuals in the Adventist church were vegetarians, mm. little known maybe fact, before a lot of our greater population mm. adopted those practices. Interesting. Uh, and so that was one of the leading ways that we witnessed um, to individuals uh, was, hey, there's a, there's a greater level of living that you can aspire to as mm -hmm. it pertains to your health. Uh, your mind, body, and soul. And so that's where a lot of our, our hospitals and, and things came about from that. Education is also a big component within the church. And how then did you find your path to being a psychotherapist in, in your social work? Yeah, sh sure. So it, it actually came out of my pastoring. I pastored for a couple years mm -hmm. here in the uh, DMV and um, in Bowie, actually. And also was the chaplain of Tacoma Academy. And through that, I just saw a greater need for maybe out-of-the-box approaches mm. to what churches in the Christian faith are usually, um, you know, familiar with. So mental health is still a stigma, uh, period. Mm -hmm. But then also, especially in the Christian church and, and within Seventh-day Adventism as well, mm -hmm. it's we're coming out of it. But I saw, hey, our families need help. And I can preach a sermon, but I know that there's some child, some mother, some father, some family that really needs some help outside of the message that they hear from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. And so I went and decided to go a different route and get my master's in social work. Mm -hmm. And so now I serve underprivileged populations primarily within the metro area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, great. And how do you bring some of some of these these lessons, either directly or indirectly, from your your um, your faith yeah. to to help you in your work? So, you know, as Adventists, we, we have about 28 fundamental beliefs, and all of those can be found in the Bible. So it's not, it's not so much just coming out of thin air. You can see some of these themes. But one of them, the, the one is just about Jesus Christ. 
we really focus in on um, God is our God through Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus came down. And so when I look at Jesus's life, I call him the first social worker hmm. um, because he ministered, you know, and, and not the first, but I, I call him, he was a social worker. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so he ministered in whatever need. Um, the core of social work practice is meet the client where they're at. And I love when, when I look at Christ's life, that's what he did. You know, he, he met them where they were at. He, of course, he could probably ping them for some sin. And we see God as punitive oftentimes in the wider society. But no, I look at the woman at the well. I look at the woman called in the act of adultery. He's meeting these individuals and not just women, but men as well, where they are at. Mm. And then he's saying, hey, there's a greater life for you. Mm-hmm. And, and I can help you with that. And so that's what really inspires my work when I think about Jesus in that regard. Beautiful. This is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We're talking this morning with Pastor Mario Broussard II, a psychotherapist and owner of Fresh Start Counseling Services. My other guest this morning is Imam Hamad Ahmad, a faith leader at the American Fazl Mosque in Washington, D.C. with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Imam Hamad, what are the ways in which the Ahmadiyya community um, seeks to be of service, engages in service? So the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in different parts of the world engages in service in many different ways. Um, you know, I was born in West Africa, Sierra Leone, hmm. and the reason, I, my parents are Pakistani, they're from Pakistan. The reason I was born there was because all over the African continent, our community does have hundreds of schools and, and, uh, and uh, schools and hospitals where we provide education and health care for free or at very minimal charges. And so my doctor, my father was professionally trained as a doctor. And he decided to dedicate eight years of his life to go provide free medical care in Sierra Leone. And so as soon as my parents got married, they moved there. Mm. And that's where I was born. Mm. And so when I served in Uganda as well, I've seen the hospitals that our community runs. There's schools there that our community runs. And so in many impoverished third world countries, our community has set up these hospitals and schools to provide these services for free. And there is no agenda behind it, that if you join our community, then we'll give it to you. If a Christian or a Jew or a local tribal person wants to come, we'll give them the health care and they can go back. And there's no, you know, preaching of the message to them heavy handedly. And so that's something we do in those countries. Internationally, our community has established an organization called Humanity First, a non-profit disaster relief organization. And this is a separate organization, separate entity, but established by our community. And the purpose of this is that anywhere where people need any kind of help, whether it's from disasters, whether it's opening hospitals, whether it's opening clinics, our community goes to those disaster-stricken areas. You know, when there was the hurricanes in Florida last year, Mm. a lot of our community and in Texas went down there, part of Humanity First, to give disaster relief efforts. When there's these tsunamis and and floods in other international countries, and our community goes there through Humanity First to help out without any kind of message of, you know, this is who we are, so believe believe in our faith. And so these are the ways in which all over the world we do try to serve creation because we believe it is through serving creation that we can serve our creator and please our creator because as our creator, it doesn't matter if you're a Muslim, Jew, Hindu, atheist, or even a dog or a plant, God loves all his creation equally. Mm -hmm. And so we strive to serve all creation equally in that way. In fact, just late last year in the fall in Guatemala, our community just opened a hospital there okay. in that country that has little to no health care. And our uh, Khalifa of our movement, the international head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Mirza Masrur Ahmad, who resides in London, UK, he was in the United States in October, November for two, three weeks. And he visited Guatemala for four or five days where he inaugurated this new hospital that was to provide health care to the poor people of Guatemala. And so 
you know, this is what we do internationally in the United States of America. I think you may have seen this on the news a few weeks ago during the government shutdown. The parks were a mess. And so our youth organization decided to go into the parks and to start cleaning them up. Mm. And so for at least two weekends in a row, we went to different parks, parks all over the country and picked up the trash ourselves and decided to put them in bins or throw them away on behalf of the, of the government shutdown. You know, on 9-11 every year. And, you know, I think there's a very powerful message here in that, you know, on 9-11-2001, when those terrorists flew those planes into the building and they shed their blood, they, you know, caused a mass loss of lives. So every year 9-11, what we do is we hold blood drives. And during the blood drives, our message is that if those terrorists are going to shed their blood and cause a loss of lives, we're going to willingly give our blood to save lives. Mm. Because that is the message of Islam. Mm. And so, you know, it's these different ways in which we seek to improve our society. We have tree planting drives where we go out into these areas and we'll plant trees just so that we can give back to the environment. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, has said that anyone who plants a tree and then even years later, if an animal eats from the fruit of that tree, then that becomes something that you will be rewarded for in the hereafter. Mm-hmm. So even something as simple as that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these are the different ways in which we try to engage in community service, social service, in any way we can, in every opportunity we can where we see it. Yeah. And you mentioned Guatemala <coughs> a little bit ago, and I think people would be curious to to find out that the Ahmadiyya community has actually found fertile ground in in uh, Central America, that there are, are new Ahmadiyya communities springing up in Latin America. So tell, tell us a little bit about that. So yeah, we do have a burgeoning community in uh, Central America and South America, even in Mexico. You know, in Chiapas, Mexico, and Merida, in Mexico City, a bunch of my colleagues are actually there serving as imams. Belize as well, one of my colleagues is working. Guatemala as well, where not only these schools and hospitals are being established, but then these mosques and mission centers are being established mm-hmm. where they're teaching people this is the reality of, of the Islam that you may fear, because those are heavily... Um, those are areas where there is a heavy influence of Islamophobia, where all they know and all they see is that Muslims are terrorists. And so when you know, our imams went there first, taking that message, there was a lot of pushback and resistance, saying, no, you guys are terrorists, we don't want you here. But over time, our message of love has softened their hearts, and we see that they're open to living with us. And we see that not only are they open to living, but they're actually coming and visiting the mosque and learning from our imams, realizing that this Islam, this Ahmadiyya movement in Islam, is nothing to actually be, be afraid of. Mm, mm. Interesting. Well, it seems like there's a lot of a lot of common ground that we're finding in terms of uh, avenues of service and, mm-hmm. and approaches to service between the Adventist and the Ahmadiyya community. Another uh, interesting point of interest is that here in the U.S., the headquarters for both organizations is just down the way in Silver Spring. <laughs> I'm I'm curious, is it just good real estate? How how did that come about? How does the Ahmadiyya community there and the Adventist community? Do you guys know? Oh, there's a, a small history uh, for the Adventist community. Actually, the headquarters of the Adventist church was he- originally here in Tacoma Park. Oh, wow. Really? And, yeah, and they were instrumental in... This uh, is a college there, too, next to the hospital. Washington Adventist uh-huh. University, mm-hmm. yes. And so uh, here in Tacoma Park, but as it expanded, I believe... Uh, there was just need for a, a greater piece of real estate, and so they had to they had to go. Nothing wrong with Tacoma Park, yeah. obviously, but um, but you know, just had to move up the the road a little bit. And so there was a heavy Adventist presence here, and still is, yeah. uh, with at least two churches, uh, big big churches here in the area. But um, yeah, that's that's where a lot of it took place. Uh-huh. Started here. Do you know how the Ahmadiyya so ended up? So our first, you can say, missionary that came to America was Mufti Muhammad Sadiq, who was a companion of the Messiah Mirza Ghulam But He landed in the port of Philadelphia in 1920, and uh, he very soon after went to Chicago. And Chicago was the original national headquarters of the Ahmadiyya community in America, mm-hmm. the Sadiq Mosque, which many people argue is the oldest mosque in America, at least one of the oldest. 
So from 1920 to 1950, our headquarters was Chicago. 1950 moved here to Washington, D.C. at the American Fuzzle Mosque. That became our national headquarters where I currently serve. And then in 19, and again, I think this is more an issue of maybe real estate. Then in 1994, you know, we're looking for land. We're expanding. You know, Fuzzle Mosque is getting small. So we bought this land in Silver Spring and go to open Briggs Cheney. 1994, built a mosque there. That became our national headquarters. Mm. And so now that's headquarters, and the Fuzzle Mosque is the place for the D.C. chapter. And interestingly enough, I served in the Bayt Rahman Mosque in Silver Spring, the national headquarters now, for two years as well before coming to the older national headquarters. Got it. Got it. Everybody's moving the same direction, buying, <laughs> buying up that old farmland out there in the county. This is Interfaith-ish, our bi-weekly show on WOWD 94.3 FM, where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and I'm joined this morning by my guest, Imam Hamad Ahmad, a faith leader with the American Fazl Mosque, part of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and Pastor Mario Broussard II, a psychotherapist and ordained elder, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. In the first half of our program, we talked about some of the history of each of these religious movements, which both have their roots in the mid-1800s, and we learned about the importance of service in both the Adventist and Ahmadiyya traditions. Now it's time to turn the mic over to my dear guests to ask some questions of their own, anything they'd like to follow up on, anything they were familiar with coming in today that they want to understand better, anything they realize they may have misunderstood about each other's tradition. On our show, we seek to model constructive and respectful dialogue in the spirit of learning, while at the same time not being afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish. So with that, I turn it over to my two guests. So, you know, hearing about the history of the Seventh-day Adventist movement, uh-huh. um, one question that right off the top of my mind I can that came to me was, how is the Seventh-day Adventist movement looked at within the rest of the Christian world? I spoke a little bit about how the Ahmadiyya community is perceived in the Muslim world, how is the Seventh-day movement perceived in the rest of the Christian world, Catholics, Protestant, and that whole? Yeah, it's so funny because uh, we're everywhere uh, as a movement, um, but little, you know, not much is known about us. And uh, oftentimes we get confused with um, uh, the, the Church of the Latter-day yeah. Saints or Jehovah's Witness. Um, I just think that it's an issue of, um, not enough presence in some of the areas that matter. So we might have structures, buildings, you know, um, establishments, but maybe having a seat at the table in different um, areas that involve our communities, maybe in politics, maybe in uh, different summits and things that take place, interfaith summits <laughs> would uh, would really help just get to know. But we are uh, Christian, you know, mm-hmm. fundamentally, um, and... And so, yeah, so sometimes people look at us like, uh, so we're not sure what you are, you know. Uh, but when they get to know, you know, it's, I think it's the day as well, like, yeah. you know, worshiping on the seventh day versus the Sunday and that just being um, in that way a minority, you know, in terms. So that, that's, that's primarily it, yeah. Yeah, just regarding the seventh day movement, and you explained some of the, you know, how William Miller started it or was the forerunner for it based on going back to the true teachings of the Bible itself. And you explained some of, you know, the difference. One difference is worshiping on a different day. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned about the advent of Christ. So mm-hmm. is there anything unique about the seventh day movement's belief about the return of Christ as opposed to the belief of other Christian movements? Um, you know, I, I can't say. Well, so there are other movements that believe that... Um, before Christ comes, uh, individuals may be raptured up. So we don't we don't subscribe to the rapture. Um, the only rapture the Bible says that uh, when He comes, 
though there will be individuals who are alive who will be caught up in the air to, to meet with him. So we believe that it's one event that takes place in which the entire world will see both, you know, those who are dead will be, um, they will rise up and those who are alive will see Christ coming. And he will, at that time, uh, that's when judgment takes place and all of that. And so that's the timeline that we believe according to, you know, what we've read in the, in the Bible. Uh, so that, that is a distinction right there as well. Is there a timeline as to when this rapture would occur? Like, is it imminent or do we have some time or? Yeah. So when you look in the book of Daniel, um, there, man, there's there's all kinds of things in there about what Nebuchadnezzar and, and the statue that he had that represented uh, from the head to the toe different um, civilizations and also time periods in Earth's history. And so Adventists will say, you know, we're in the toenails of time, okay. right? Because it's it's we're living in the last days. Which we agree with. Yeah, yeah. 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 So there's Definitely. some similar similarities yeah. there. Uh, and so we believe that we don't know. The Bible says no man knows the day nor yeah. the hour of Christ's return. So we don't... Ironically, the church uh, kind of started off of a movement in 1844 in which William Miller was trying to predict, based off of what he understood biblical prophecy, of a day when Christ would return. Mm-hmm. So October 22nd, 1844 was the day... And that's also known as the day of the great disappointment because he did not return and individuals sold their land and everything and he did not return. And so um, they went back to the Bible, went back to the drawing board and, and, and was like, hey, we don't have a date for this. Um, so but we, we believe according to the signs of what's going on that Christ is soon returning. Yeah. Yeah. So we look at these Latter-day movements, um, and of course we've talked about Church of Latter-day Saints, we've talked about Jehovah's Witnesses, we've mm-hmm. talked about Seventh-day Adventists in the Christian world. And I think the Church of Latter-day Saints is a little separate because of Joseph Smith and mm-hmm. believing him to be a prophet and, and a separate book. Um, but with Jehovah's Witnesses, there seems to be more similarity in the sense that they also kind of started off as a Bible study. As far as I understand, it could be corrected, mm-hmm. as a Bible study group. And they also wanted to go back to the original teachings of the Bible um, same way as you've explained the Seventh-day Adventists. So what is, I guess, the perception or the collaboration or the differences between Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Movement? And where are the similarities in terms of interpretation of the Bible and where do they end? Yeah, so, um, you, you know, I, I can't really speak too much to the Church of Latter-day Saints, but I know that uh, the similarities are in that movement, like as you described, trying to get back to the core. But then... Uh, the deviation there is between the the fact that we highly regard sola scriptura or the Bible alone as the authority um, and as our guide, you know, um, whereas the Church of Latter-day Saints and maybe other ones have maybe adopted another book or even created hmm. w- what they believe under inspiration as other scriptures and things like that. But we don't subscribe to the Apocrypha and, okay. and some of those um, other books. Uh, it's really just Genesis to Revelation. And um, and so th- I think that's the major difference there. But like, and also other Jehovah's Witness, they subscribe to Christ, but they don't necessarily believe he's God. Hmm. And so we believe that there's okay. the Father, the Son, who is Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit. And they all are equally God. All equally God. Mm-hmm. Three separate beings, but all equally God okay. on one accord. So, yeah. Once again, this is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3. We've been listening to a conversation between Pastor Mario Broussard II, a 
uh, an ordained elder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and Imam Hamad Ahmad, a faith leader with the American Fossil Mosque and the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. More questions? Sure. So, if uh, I I just I just want to say first off, um, I'm very familiar with the aspect of the um, Amman. Say it for no me. problem. Ahmadiyya. Yeah, uh, yeah no Ahmadiyya. Yeah. I, I, I was trying to rehearse it. <laughs> I respect it, but it's familiar okay. with yeah. the philosophy yeah. because I'm I've seen it played out in different co Muslim communities. Hmm. But it's just refreshing to see. Um, a representative of it and being able to hear more about it. And so, you know, I just kind of want to know how you, you know, what, what caused you to subscribe to that, to this? So, um, I was born into the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. My parents were members of the community. In fact, if you go back, my great, great grandfather accepted the community at the time of the Messiah himself, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad. Um, so I was born into it, but of course I was raised in Toronto, Canada. I was a year old when we moved to, from Sierra Leone to Toronto, Canada. And obviously growing up here in the West, you kind of do subscribe more to materialism. You want a, a job, a car, you want a life, you want money, all these things. And at some point, you know, religion takes a backseat to your life just based on capitalist ideals, which is reality. And um, so at some point, you know, I didn't really have the, the intention to fully make my faith the biggest part of my life. But And I think uh, this is important, everyone should go through this point where they question what they believe in. Whether you're an atheist or a Jew or a Christian or a Muslim or a Hindu or anything, I, I do think it's important to question what you believe in and to then readopt it. And Islam actually does teach us this as well. The Quran repeatedly tells even believers to question what you believe in. If you grow up a believer and you've never questioned it, then we believe that that faith is just as worthless as uh, an idol worshiper in, in Mecca, growing up worshiping idols and never questioning it. Mm -hmm. So even believing in one God, believing in Islam is worthless unless you've questioned and adopted it. And so there was a point in my life, in later high school, I took a class on world religions. And learning about these different faiths, I did start to question, is what I believe in what I truly believe in? Is this actually right? And so I remember it was a scary feeling sitting in the library. I remember that moment sitting there, what if all of this is false? And I came to that realization and to the brink of, okay, I need to actually look at this. And so, of course, this is, I think, a lifelong journey where you have to repeatedly question and then repeatedly answer. And that, that was the first time I did that. And that first time I did that, and when I looked at everything, for me, it did make most sense, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I kind of went through that process of readopting that faith, of questioning it, then thinking, okay, this does make the most sense to me. And then, of course, you know, a longer story as to how I became an imam, but, you know, I, I was always a person who would question why behind everything, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I had, of course, the ideals of, you know, becoming a rich person and having all these material things. And I kind of questioned myself, okay, after high school, you go to college, you get a degree, you get a job, you get a nice house, a nice car. And then I said, what happens then? Why? And then I was like, then you die. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it just became all, it just seemed very pointless to me. <laughs> and so I felt that I needed to do something that had more meaning, that when I die on my deathbed, I want to look back at my life and look at it, that I spent my my life in a worthwhile cause. Mm -hmm. And it was back then in my late high school years as well that our community was opening up Jamia Ahmadiyya, which is our seminary. Mm -hmm. It's the Ahmadiyya Institute of Islamic Studies where you go to, to study to become an imam. And so I figured, you know, I'm not happy with going in that direction of my life where I can regret everything I'm doing. So I figured, let me dedicate my life for this cause, this cause of humanitarianism, of compassion, of love and mercy, of dedicating myself to my faith, which I believe teaches me to make these moral ideals forefront in my, the forefront mm -hmm. in my life. And so that's how I ended up becoming an imam and a religious minister in the community. And that's how I readopted my faith and how it kind of guides 
what I do with my life. You know, it's <laughs> interesting as we look at these similarities. Yeah, um, you're kind of the equivalent of a Protestant, right? In a, in a way that not so much that it's um, aggressive or anything like that, but the the facet of your movement is built off of looking at how um, maybe Islam as a whole is regarded or maybe even presents itself and saying, hey, there's this different way that I think we've deviated from the intended purpose. And uh, I just think that that's awesome. And, and so I guess my follow-up question is how is how have you dealt with the persecution? I'm sure that you've experienced it. Mm. And I heard that you, you, is it true you can't go, you said it earlier, yeah. to make your to, pilgrimage. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that and how do you face that opposition? So as an Ahmadi Muslim living in America, we kind of face persecution from both ends sometimes. You know, on the one hand, to just the average person on the street, I'm a Muslim. Mm -hmm. And with the rise of Islamophobia, they'll look at me and be like, he's a Muslim, he's a terrorist. Mm -hmm. Then on the other hand, if I go to uh, um, a non-Ahmadi Muslim Sunni mosque, they'll be like, you're an Ahmadi, you shouldn't belong here, you shouldn't get out. You know, so it's kind of from both ends. And again, I mentioned this earlier that for us, we look at this persecution as a sign of you know, as a sign of following in the footsteps of prophets. Mm -hmm. That if the prophet Jesus, the prophet Moses, the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon all of them, went through this, mm -hmm. then we're going through the same things they went through. So for us, it makes us feel like, okay, we're on the right track. We're doing something right if we're going through that. You know, and you know, of course it's difficult. I haven't lived in Pakistan myself for an extended period in face of persecution. I was there for a number of months um, for a refresher course where I lived there, but and there as well, we did witness persecution. There were people there that died uh, at that time who were attacked for their faith, and so it is difficult. But it is a time that we hearken back to the early 300 years of Christianity, when the early Christians were living in catacombs and they were persecuted. Mm -hmm. The Messiah actually himself said of our community that we will also go through 300 years of persecution before we make real progress, and people really look at us and think, okay, they're spreading and they're conquering people's hearts. So. Mm -hmm. And this is that era where in the Muslim world, we live in those catacombs, where we kind of have to live in hiding, live out of fear of our faith. And in the, Pakistan, actually, on their passport, they make you declare whether you believe in Mirza Ghulam Ahmad or not. And they make you declare that I either declare him to be an imposter and a kafir, and therefore I'm a Muslim, or if I accept him, then you have to declare that I'm a non-Muslim by accepting him. So our community has to do that. And when you do that, if you cannot vote. Only Muslims are allowed to, official Muslims are allowed to vote there. And so if you go with a Pakistani passport to Saudi Arabia, yeah, they won't let you in. But for me, for example, if I have a Canadian or American passport, it doesn't have religion on there. So I can still get in. Of course, mm -hmm. if I go around saying wearing this jacket, then yeah, they'll kick me out. But um, so that's, you know, there are ways where our community can still go with passports that are not Pakistani passports. But it is a struggle that we go through that we also realize is part of the struggle of being part of the movement, which we wear as a badge of honor. So once again, this has been Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3, and we've been listening to a wonderful conversation between Imam Ahmad Ahmad, a faith leader with the American Fazl Mosque and the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and Pastor Mario Broussard II, a psychotherapist and ordained elder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So one of the questions that we, we ask our guests as we, as we leave the program is, what, what's one thing that you would want our listeners to, to know about your community? Maybe something that they have misunderstood. We've talked a little bit about misunderstandings, confusing with other movements, persecutions, and so forth that each of your communities have faced. Is there one thing that you would sum up your, your tradition to, to leave them with, some, some lesson for our listeners to take with them? So recently, um, the Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya community, Mirza Masur Ahmad, um, he was meeting, I think, with 
um, a Christian scholar in America, and he asked him, he's like, so are you a practicing Christian? He said, yeah. And our Khalifa said, that's good. He said, if you subscribe to a faith, you should practice that faith. And he said, I, I enjoy when I meet people who actually practice their faith. And so, you know, my message as well would be that, you know, we live in a time and an era where there's religions, different religions all around us. And I think we should not be afraid of different people's religions, of their faiths. In fact, we should get outside of our comfort zone and go meet as many different people as possible. And that doesn't mean you need to go and convert. You need to be intimidated by ideology. I think we need to be confident and strong and firm in our faith. And it's okay. And we should all practice our faith. And I think if we practice our faith truly, then that would be the end of religious wars, I think. You know, nowadays people say it's religion that causes war. I think if we actually practice our faith, that would end these wars. And we need to get outside of our comfort zone, meet each other, get to know each other, become friends on that level, and be okay with practicing our faith at the same time. Thank you. Yeah, um, so, you know, for the, the Adventist church, it, it's been known in recent, in, in, in the past, as a relatively conservative movement. Um, and... and I think that it has been, as a result, largely silent um, because there's just a, a lot of unknown. But my thing is, um, I believe that the, the Adventist movement is just that, a movement. And I think that that's where it should remain, right? So there's nothing wrong with established uh, religions or organizations because it provides uh, clarity and focus. But... Um, when I think of a movement, I think of an organism, and an organism is ever-changing, ever-growing, going through phases, and I would love for those around us, when you see a Seventh-day Adventist, we are Christian, we believe in Jesus, uh, but also it is a movement um, that seeks to not only pre uh, better our lives here, but prepare for the one to come, so yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much for, for being here. I'm glad that we could as you were saying, you know, step out of our comfort zones a little bit, learn about each other, be here together. And, uh, you know, next time we can uh, we can invite the Jehovah's Witness and the, yeah. the Latter-day Saints and we can have a party with, <laughs> with all these different movements that had their roots in the mid-1800s. So, great. Thank you so much uh, to both of you. Thank for you for having, having us. us. Thanks for having us. Today. Yeah. Dear listeners, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I want to thank my terrific guest, Pastor Mario Broussard, the second of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and Imam Hamad Ahmad of the American Fazl Mosque and the Ahmadiyya community. As always, I want to give a shout-out to my fellow Interfaith-ishtronauts, Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, and of course to Jeff Philosopher for providing our theme music for the show. And thank you, dear listeners, for spending your hour with us. You can find all of our previous episodes of Interfaith-ish on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud. Most recently, we did a show, a live show, at American University. And that will be in the feed very soon, if it's not up already by the time you see this. We had such a blast doing that program. We packed it full of great guests. We had games and music. I hope you'll have as much fun listening to it as we did making it. And if you like what you hear, remember to subscribe to our show, leave us a rating or a review, and send us an email about what interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com, I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks. 
Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.